0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, at YouTube land and over at Periscope right now, we are Get Valiant number 167, a special episode with Mr. Dan Abnett. Thank you for joining us today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And we're
2: definitely very happy to have you on um, and talk about the awesomeness that is Rye.
1: <laughs> it's pretty awesome, I have to
2: say. <laughs> so um, the book is coming back. We're pretty yeah. stoked about that. Um, something that I think that we really want to make sure people know is that um, both the trade and I believe issue six are available to order right now.
1: Yeah. So, we got five issues out when the, uh, when the lockdown began and obviously that everything was suspended at that point because we couldn't get the, the get it out to everybody. So, uh, so that yeah, issue six is out in, uh, in August. So, so please, please, please go order it now so that you can get your copy, but we're bringing out the trade, on the first five issues. If you haven't read it yet, that's a perfect place to jump on at the same time. So again, that's all horrible too. It's, it's interesting because it's a book that we, uh, we had, we were working quite a far in advance. We, you know, most comics run to catch up with itself on a monthly deadline, but this one we had got several issues in the draw. So it was, it was slightly frustrating that we were so far ahead and then these issues had to wait. So uh, there you go. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah ab- absolutely well, and first off i want to say thank you for joining us i know it's a saturday evening where you're at um appreciate you taking the time out of your day um your life to to chat with us valiant fans we appreciate
1: yeah, it i'm very happy uh, we, we've we've been three days of heat wave here in the uk so it's uh, it's been completely bewildering to us because we're not used to it we, everything is built for sad rainy weather so it's just it's just now beginning to turn i think there's an enormous storm coming so if i suddenly black out it's because the electrical substation has been hit, and, uh, and that's it. And, and strange <laughs> things will be happening in English villages from that point onward.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, so one question that we got right away. Um, since you are from the UK, what's your favorite
1: football team? <laughs> now, oh, God, see, what a terrible place to start with. I I uh, I don't dislike football, but I don't follow a particular team. I will have to. I live in Maidstone in the UK, and we have a we have a small club here that is literally over the road out that window, uh, Maidstone Football Club. So I'm going to say Maidstone Mm -hmm. because when they play an evening game, this whole room is bathed with their floodlights coming in through the. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So I have a question,
0: real quick about. your work from Fallen World transitioning to Rye. Yeah. Um, we were all really big fans of Fallen World.
1: Thank you. Absolutely.
0: At what point doing Fallen World did you know that you were going to be doing a Rye ongoing?
1: Uh, it was weirdly, it was the other way around. Uh, okay. At least the editor had contacted me yeah. and asked if I wanted to write Rye. Uh, and I went great. It's exactly my kind of thing because it, it combines the uh, I love I love working in the in the contained environment of a, of, a, of a world and its continuity. So the Valiant Universe, great. But also they were giving me enormous freedom because it was the future. There was loads of things to work out, loads of things to develop. So I was I was working on Rye, uh and the the framework to Fallen World had been worked out and it was yet to be written. Uh, and so I set off picking up on on the sort of blueprint of what I was supposed to be coming from. And then Lisa got in touch and said, um, do you know what, could you, uh, do you feel like writing Fallen World as well? and Basically writing the foundation from which we run this book. So I then went backwards and wrote Fallen World to to link up with where I was starting with. So, uh, so it was four stewards actually. I really enjoyed it. It's great fun to do. Uh, and I got to sort of really sort of lay the groundwork for where I wanted to go. And I knew I was already going because I'd written the first couple of scripts.
0: I think that's great,
1: and and have you and Lisa worked pri- uh, before together prior? Uh, ba- back in Marvel days, actually, yes. On bits, mm-hmm. and bits and pieces, I've known her for a long time. She, as they she came to me and asked me to do it. I've worked for Valiant before, actually, a long time ago, a long, mm-hmm. long time ago, uh, on on uh, Ninja and Shadow Man and stuff like that. But this is the first of its it, it, my my work for them in in their new iteration, and uh, and it's wonderful. I, I I love the Valiant universe very much. Um, I. Uh, you know, it's great fun working in, say, the Marvel or DC universes—these ancient and monstrous things that are so complicated and wonderful continuity that I grew up with as a kid. I love the fact that Valiant is very different, yet is seamlessly its own thing, and you can tell very different types of stories there. And from a, from a very British point of view, the British sort of science fiction perspective—I write for 2000 AD as well, for instance.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that, to have that, it's a universe where you can tell that sort of stories. Sort of stories you couldn't fit in a. Uh, a kind of mainstream American superhero universe. I think it's uh, it's got a different feel to it, and so it's it's uh, it's, uh, it's something I've, I enjoy very very much. And I was very grateful when she when she thought of me and uh, and suggested that I did the book.
0: That's great. I remember running into her at Rose City Comic Con in Portland, Oregon, in 2018, and her kind of hinting about this uh, Rye coming back, and then how excited we were going to be for who's on it, and lo and behold it was you and we were very very surprised and happy um yeah we we like like josh josh and eric said we loved fallen world and so we had a chat in there and i think we may have a new viewer to valiant which is great no it's scott bloom he's one of our regulars but could you explain (laughs) who rye is uh for people who may be brand new to coming on to it
1: yeah absolutely uh um Rai right, is a uh, essentially a synthetic warrior. He is he is partly human, but he's also very very sophisticated technology. Uh, and the stories uh, in this series are set uh, just after the uh, after the year four thousand, so a long way in the future. This is a book that's placed a long way into Vali- the Valiant Universe future. And essentially, there was an enormous uh, orbital city metropolis called New Japan. Which was run by a uh, an artificial intelligence called uh, Father, and Father had created Rai as his as his son essentially to be the defender and protector of New Japan. And in the earlier stories that ran before, which I recommend you go and read because they're great, uh, Rai slowly began to realise that that, uh, that the, the Father was a sort of fairly tyrannical despot. He hid it well, but he you know he was basically controlling everybody's lives. So in a very traumatic uh war he 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 sort of took father down but in doing so he had to sort of disassemble new japan and send it crashing down to the surface of earth which had been sort of left to its own devices for a long time and that's where this series uh picks up with uh with 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 uh rise sort of partly trying to look after the survivors of new japan and establish them as as the new population of earth but also trying to contend with the new earth, which, as I say, has evolved not just naturally, but in terms of technologies and stuff like that. It's a very wild, strange place where virtually anything is possible, which is the area of creativity that, that, that I have and, and the artist has. Um, so, But Rise, principal quest, he he's is, he is sworn and determined to stop father. And although he has done that, essentially, father has persisted in the form of these things called the offspring, which are kind of little backups, little mini backups. If, if, if enough of them can be gathered together again, father will come back part of his immortality plan so so in the series a very very simple concept but rai is questing to find the offspring it's a it's a proper old quest story where he gets to travel this strange world encounter all the strange things in it and in doing so look for the offspring so that he can stop father ever from from coming back and threatening the the population of the world and in that quest he's joined by rajin who is this uh, apparently his younger brother he's this mm-hmm. little sort of sort of young teenage boy version of Rai. the, the, the weirdness there is of course that rajin uh, is older he's a previous prototype who was who was built to be a sort of uh, crowd friendly family friendly child version of Rai. so he's actually the older brother looks like the younger brother so you have this 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 twin this 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 pairing dynamic as they go on this sort of you know, sort of cursed to walk the earth uh, on on, a, on an ongoing basis. And it's the things that they do and the things they encounter uh, as they um, uh, as they look for the other offspring. And Rai's personality is very, he's very driven, he's very dedicated. He knows that, that actually a lot of what he's done over the years uh, has been driven by this sort of implacable machine part of him. The perfect guardian, the perfect son, the perfect protector, and ultimately the perfect champion of the human race or the human race in New Japan. And I think he's trying uh, to moderate that technological aspect of himself by trying to remember what parts of him are still human and what that human part means. And hopefully the encounter with the Earth will do that. And weirdly, Rajin is sort of his his conscience reminding of how human he needs to be, because quite often in a given circumstance, Rajin is uh, Rajin is much more sympathetic to circumstance than than the very driven Rye. So it's a great dynamic and they're a great partnership to play off each other. Thank you.
2: That was a phenomenal, phenomenal answer.
0: <laughs> um,
2: so one question that I have, um, I think that the creative team on this has been really, really good. And um, I'm just wondering what it's been like to work with the art team and um, oh. see the scripts that you've written come to life.
1: Okay. It's just amazing. I, I mean, there are, there are many, many very, very, very talented, very, very great artists working in comics. I mean, comics has produced some amazing artists, don't get me wrong. Uh, I admire uh, so many of them, and I've d- had been lucky enough to work with so many of them. Um, but I, I was put on this book by Lisa, and I started scripting, and, and at that point we, di- we, we didn't know uh, who the artist was, or I certainly I hadn't been told who the artist was. So I was sort of writing blind, uh, writing a very, very full script, so that it would be appropriate for any uh, artist who came along. There would be everything they needed to know. And it's, uh, it's a kind of weird dynamic. The, the, the writer-artist relationship is, is very strange. Obviously, the artist is doing all the heavy lifting, all the heavy lifting. That's not, that's, you know, I can sit there going, you know, the Avengers walk down the street, that's five minutes job, thank you. He's then got a drawer, right? so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange dynamic. And and I am lucky enough to do not only work with some very talented people, but I have long-standing relationships with certain artists. So you get to know what they need. So you know, I, you know there's some artists I work with who like a very full script with lots of detail because they they like me to tell them as much as possible. There are others who like really minimal stuff because they want to invent. They don't want to be encumbered by my descriptions. They want to want to have you know sort of the freedom to to interpret. And you and you find that balance. So so I use 2000 AD as an example. But I wrote three or four scripts for them, uh, strips for them on an ongoing basis with different artists that I've been working with for a long time and the scripts could not be more different in the visually when you came to read them you would not think it was the same person who'd written them because each one is tailored to the as it were the personality of the artist I'm working with and it's something that I've I've learned to do just, you know, we have long chats on the phone and you get to know what they're gonna need. So I didn't know who I was writing for. Wrote these full scripts, very pleased with it. With everything, with everything, you write something, particularly when you're creating stuff. I was world building furiously in, in, in Rye because we're creating this world. There were certain things we want we to establish for if nothing else, the wildness and variety that you're gonna encounter in this world before you even get started. Um, and then I was told that Juanjo uh, was, was the artist and I like his work. And then I was probably I guess I must have been three scripts in and the first pages of art started to come in from issue one. And I don't think I have ever been as astonished as I was when I started to open those files and look at the pages. I get I see great art a lot. And it's always a pleasure to open that and and sit down to do the lettering pass. And, you know, you know, you've got to tinker with your dialogue to make it fit. But, you, you know, it's gorgeous. And it's either exactly what you wanted. Or exactly what you expected, or it's not what you expected, but it's great, and all this kind of stuff. This was this stuff was phenomenal. Uh, I just the, the the level of realism and detail and 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 sort of atmosphere. It felt so authentic. Uh, the character acting, sort of, you know, sort of, there are certain things that a writer can do where you where you write them, going, this is either going to work or it's not going to work. For instance, a conversation scene between a couple of people. You know that can that can be really compelling and gripping because it's character driven and and you know but if an artist you know sort of skimps on the background a bit or doesn't doesn't emote the acting very well it can be like well that's three pages I'm not getting back because nobody wants to read those because they're going to be really dull you know similarly um, so I think a lot of comic book writers they tend they tend to write scenes that are almost over dramatic and over explosive to make sure that they're going to be dramatic when they get on the page so they sort of they sort of Blindly compensating in advance for the way they're going to be drawn. You want the book to look as good as possible. And as soon as I saw these pages, and I realised that 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 uh, Juanjo had just bought into it as completely as I had. He had con- he wasn't just drawing it. It wasn't just the next job. He had read my script. He thought about the ideas that I was putting forth. He'd done them, and then he added, and then he'd taken them further, and he'd rendered everything in the most extraordinary way. And I- and that was astonishing, I, I you know, I hope the story's good, I'm very pleased with my scripts, but as far as I'm concerned, buy it for the art, for God's sake, because because it just looked so good. Every issue is stunning. Um, and one of the great things I said, it gave me the confidence to write then for him, in terms of having the confidence to write, for example, quieter scenes. I knew that if I wrote a scene where it was just two people having a conversation, he would just knock it out of the park. It would be so brilliant and compelling. There will be no danger but it was, the, it was the dead weight three or four pages in that issue. And similarly, some of the fantastical things I could do could be slight and small. They didn't have to be huge and explosive because he would do them so well. Some of the concepts, some of the f- future world-building concepts, the second issue where they go to this kind of self-running automated suburban house. Now that yes. that could have been, even in the hands of a very good artist, that could have been very bland and ordinary. And, and because of the very content and I'm going fingers crossed I hope this is going to work but he does it so beautifully there. there it, it looks exactly as it should do and, and we understand that there is a sort of oddness and a threat in it, right from the word go, because everything, down to the door handles, down to the, the the things in the kitchen, they're all real and solid. It feels like a film set. It feels like a moment in a program where everything's gone very quiet, and you're going, "What's going on?" And once I've got that, there's a bit in uh, actually, it's in issue six. I think they've previewed some of the, um, the 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 pages, but I've got stuff which is just it's just a woodland at night in rain, and we've got Roman legionnaires, and um, you know, proper proper sort of Roman Empire soldiers. On the march something like something out like gladiator i i won't tell you why it's brilliant but anyway <laughs> they're coming through the windows and that could have been you know good but at the same time it could have been like oh look it's it's a bit ordinary it's like some people marching in roman costume and there's a rain effect do you know what i mean but again i knew when i started writing it that he would make it look like we were there in you know 450 BC in Britain at the end of the Roman Empire and this was the last of the ninth legion marching to a fortress to defend against you know I, he would just get it and he does it and, and some of my favorite pages uh they, they do then become explosive but just those opening pages there is a sort of cinematic sense so I think his uh art is astonishing I think it, it really uh supports the book and it's and and, and it completely supports my imagination in terms of what I think I can get away with asking him to do, uh, and obviously, Valiant produces brilliant books. So the lettering's great, the colouring's great, Every, everything's come together on it to bring it together. Uh, but that, 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 that moment when I, I, sorry, I'm looking over there because I've got a secondary screen here where I pull my, my art up when I'm, when I'm scripting. So I'm scripting on my main screen, my pages of art there when I'm, do, I'm doing the lettering pass. And I keep looking over there because I remember it, these pages appearing for the first time on that screen there and just being blown away, sitting there going, I can't, oh really? Oh my God. And So yeah, it's fantastic stuff.
2: Was there a particular page, panel, anything that in particular that stands out to you from the art that you got that was your wow moment, or? Uh,
1: y- yes, I think there were. I mean, from that opening page of issue one onwards, which is which is this sort of. Um, um, this sort of wasteland moment where you're facing these sort of uh, scavengers who, who, who crowded into that kind of stuff. So there was, and I'd written it to be impactful and to be sort of mysterious and, and, and striking and what the hell's going on. Uh, even the dialogue is, is, is like, it's, it's sort of, it feels a little bit incongruous. Uh, so that was the first page and that's the first page any reader sees it's meant to grab the attention I think it really really does but actually as that issue progresses that it's it to me personally there is th- I mean for goodness sake We've got stampeding dinosaurs and and guys in hot rods and explosions and all sorts of things like that But it's the it is the little subtle things that he does. There's there's in those uh, in that opening scene We don't see Rai immediately rising is the one who is confronting these 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 bandits and uh Rye is repairing the engine of of, uh, of the car they're traveling in. He's got the uh, the hood up, and, and you don't see him. He's behind the hood, sort of making comments from behind the hood, just doing this. And and when he finally appears, it's not this big hero splash moment, you know, landing with one fist on the ground. He just sort of stands up, wiping his hands. And it was like, that's so co- that's so much cooler. He's just so completely nonchalant in that moment. And then later on, they arrive at this kind of, basically this diner truck stop in the middle of the desert, where they go in, they're the only customers, and there's a guy behind the bar giving them... Uh, uh, drinks and there's huge 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 glass windows looking out into the desert and whilst they're having a conversation with the barman the bad guys arrive and they sort of see them coming and ryan goes yeah i'll deal with this and he walks outside and although we do see the battle uh most of the scene is set inside the diner with ryan talking to this guy and you just see things flying past the window it's, <laughs> it's all suggestion of what's going on that side and again that sort of cinematically acting, and I think it was wonderfully done. And the, the final thing that he did so beautifully in that first issue, which really made me go, we're onto a winner here, is that I thought that Rye should move incredibly fast. Incredibly fast. But I didn't want to ha- have that rendered in the way that you might do, say, uh, I don't know, Quicksilver or The Flash, where, where it's all speed lines and you know blurring and all this kind of stuff. So my suggestion was that, that when he goes into action in that first issue, I think it's really, really effective. He, he, so he looks like he's just walking in amongst them. There is no, nothing dynamic about his pose. He's just going for a stroll. And around him, you know, dinosaurs are being th- thrown over. The, you know, all the trucks are cartwheeling and all this kind of stuff is happening because he's moving so fast. You can't see what he's doing to them. It just looks like he's, in, he's sort of having this casual stroll. And, and again, that was one of those things where the writer's going, that's either going to work or it's going to suck you know it's, it's one of those things with the pages come in that could look awful um or it could work really really well and I'm obviously hoping for the latter because I thought it was it, it was a kind of visual conceit that would work really really well and when I saw it I went oh my god he's got it and it's so good it's so cool because it you it, it, by downplaying everything that Rye does even just him standing up from behind the hood and then doing this it makes him seem so much more powerful and assured and deadly and that kind of that kind of martial arts expertise, where just one simple thing can defeat the enemy, you know, that sort of the finger of death type, and and that to me was where he was getting it. It's 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 sort of it, in each issue, it's sort of the quieter moments where I realized that he's been incredibly effective as an artist because because you know, there's a lot of great artists who can do the big explosive stuff, which he does brilliantly, but it's though it's those low key things that he pulls off so effectively.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think in issue number five at the very end, we see some preview pages for number six and those anamorphic <laughs> characters that are coming out. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And then again, that expression of Rye looking like he's fast and the way yeah. they're doing it. Yeah. Where it's uh, yeah, we
1: a different thing there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and obviously in that issue, we're, we're building up into another story out there. We've already seen a bit of this, but, but one of the great things about playing with the future is that, you know, I can world build completely. It's sort of the, the, the world is my oyster to, To build all these different things, but I'm mindful of the fact this is the future of a very well-established universe. So, readers who've read the first five issues will know that I'm beginning to dot in references to the valiant continuity that we know, the appearance of certain characters, or reference to characters or versions of characters, and we've had some staggering ones so far. Uh, I was very, very pleased with the way—spoiler alert—but the way the the Eternal Warrior and the Geomancer turns up in that, in, in in form five. And obviously, this very, very odd use we've got of effectively of bloodshot, who I see there behind you, Eric. (laughs) That very, very effective use of bloodshot whose body in the future has actually essentially been been pirated and customised as a as a form for the uh, for the offspring, for for the blood father, for father to live in. So he's become a villain and he's virtually indestructible. We saw that in Fallen World as well. And uh, issue six onwards. I'm not going to tell you, but there are some things coming along which are Valiant Universe related that I think will make you sort of weep for joy, where you'll go, "Oh my God, I just did not see that coming." So I, I'm really pleased with the, with the, some of those those reveals. Where 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 um, uh, I've got to do things where in a really tangential way, just doing something and you think it's going one way, and then suddenly the unexpected happens. So so yeah, cool. So-
0: so speaking of bloodshot since you brought it up i'm yeah. curious um you know he's such a popular character and even yeah. the 4000 version of bloodshot is, is pretty popular did you have any kind of blowback from valiant editorial when you decided to almost take him off the board
1: and make him father i, I didn't i didn't and i didn't in the way i did it i be completely fair with you here the uh the, Valiant Editorial knew what they wanted Fallen Well to be. I mean, I finessed it and I, I actually worked out how the how it can work structurally at the mechanics of that story. But they had certain beats they wanted me to hit. And they had already proposed the idea that it would be Bloodshot that got possessed. They thought that was quite a cool thing to do. I think they were thinking that I would then somehow, during the course of that story, liberate him and and, you know, deposit father into some other form or defeat him or whatever. But I saw the potential there. I just thought, you know, sort of if you want to read Bloodshot's in his heroic form there are plenty of places in the contemporary universe you can read that let's see something very very different here in the future where where somebody we know is is possibly the deadliest possibly the most indestructible character in the universe in the valid uh, universe uh is the bad guy i mean how terrifying is that how terrifying and i also think there is just in terms of their their, their, their iconography alone there is a, there is clearly some kind of family linkage between rye Raijin Bloodshot it's all there's something there at some point in the in those 2000 years that we haven't accounted for yet there are there are deep connective technological developmental routes and there are some interesting things there and again I'm not going to spoil it but uh, but but uh, Bloodshot and and uh, Bloodfather in in this second the second main arc we're starting in issue six uh, there are there are some big things going on there um and I can assure you they're not what you think they're going to be but yeah so one thing you
0: seem to do well is play in continuity really well, and we appreciate that as valiant fans in the universe. Well, what, what, what is it? What makes you love doing working in continuity and, and just yeah, playing with these tools?
1: Well, I, 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 it's three things. Really, really, I'll do them very quickly. Three things. First of all, when I, I still read comics for pleasure a lot, uh, and I read new comics, and I've got a lot of favourites, but I also go back and read the favourite comics that I've read during my lifetime and, and before I was ever even thought about entering the industry, the stuff I grew up reading. And one of the things, not all the time because you can overdo it, but one of the things I loved uh, was when there was cross continuity between books. Something happened in one book over here. And it was reflected in something that happened in another book over here. I, I just—I love that. I love the idea of a holistic um, universe that is functioning all at the same time. I think that's one of the reasons the Marvel movies have been so great because they have bothered to, as it were, respect each other in the way that a lot of other comic stuff is—is uh, is sort of standalone or disconnected or whatever. Like, I love the fact that the Marvel Marvel continuity has acknowledged that stuff and then and then built this sort of essentially this this enormous forty-plus hour graphic novel through through its through its its films so i it's something that i appreciate and it's something that i as a reader enjoy seeing so that 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 counts for one secondly many years ago when i first entered the comics industry which was uh, i think it was about in 1473 uh, that i first started but anyway <laughs> when i entered the comics industry my first job was was an editorial at marvels uk division in london marvel uk uh, and i worked there as an editor and that's where i started freelance writing now marvel uk at the time uh, although we went on to produce things like Death Said and Knights of Ben Dragon and, and, and it sort of originated things like that, um, we were essentially a licensing house. So the comics we produced were, were things like um, Transformers, uh, Action Force, which is G.I. Joe, um, mm. Thundercats, Care Bears, um, uh, Thomas the Tank Engine, The Mr. Men. My personal one that I was on right to begin with was The Real Ghostbusters. I, I edited the, and wrote for The Real Ghostbusters for two years. I actually was Egon Spengler. I did a weekly. Um, column as Egon which, uh, which was never credited but it's one of my finest, fine, they ought to reprint it because I'm so proud of it, just this kind of, <laughs> of spirit guide that I did week after week for like a hundred and plus issues um, and, and because British comics <clears throat> obviously a large format their weekly less story but and, they're, and they're aimed at a junior audience so these were very junior junior things so I had to learn very rapidly as an editor there uh, how to get the hang of a license because, you know, the Ghostbusters license or the Sylvanian families license, they'd send you the 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 guide Bible, the big, big clipper folder of, of all the things you needed to know in order to keep the licensing agents happy. And so you, you, I learned very, very quickly how to fit a story into the restrictions and parameters that the licensor would approve, uh, because otherwise you just get it sent back and it would delay things. And I, although that sounds incredibly mechanical and, and sort of joyless and uncreative, there is a, there is a knack to it. And once I'd learned that knack, I'd never really forgotten it. And, 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 and it means that then going to work for, say, Marvel or um, Shadow Man and Ghostbusters crossover, yes, please. Uh, <laughs> mm. If you're going, going to work for Valiant or Marvel or DC with a big, complicated universe with lots and lots of history, nevertheless, that sort of still acts as this gigantic style bible. And it's a matter of fitting things in. And you just know, you get a gut feeling of what will fit. And what will not fit, what will work and what won't, what what should happen and what shouldn't happen. Uh, So I've always enjoyed that aspect of it. I think I think rather than seeing it as a a burden to wade through continuity, maybe even go back and read back issues of a book that I hadn't read previously just to learn what's going on. uh, I see that as part of the job and part of the challenge just because because I want to get it right. I really, really want to study it and get it right. Uh, So there's that and I think it comes down to this thing. I I said it in previous interviews So I apologize for repeating myself, but over here we have got we've got got this really Crappy cooking show on the TV called ready steady cook where they get chefs on and the idea is they give them they give them a, a Grocery bag with with random ingredients in it And then they've got 30 minutes to make the best dish they can out of you know a packet of sausages two onions and a lemon or whatever it is they've got in the bag and I sometimes see that as, as sort of what I do because quite often an editor from any company will ring me up and say, we want an issue. We, we need a uh, filler issue or we want a story and we want this, 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 and this in it. And then, you know, off you go. And, and, and rather than limiting my creative freedom because everybody wants to be expansive and create their own stuff and write their own stuff. But I take huge delight in that idea of like, okay, these are my ingredients. This is my target. What's the best story I can cook up Using these and fitting it in there, and part of that is understanding continuity. So I always take it as the, as a personal challenge, and I want to get it as right as I possibly can. Um, and I and I enjoy that. There are a lot of writers who don't like that. There are a lot of writers who don't like that kind of kind of editorial mandate. You do this. It's got to have this in it, you know. But I just I sort of get a kick out of it, and I think it goes back to those early days um, at Marvel UK of, of you know trying to work out another story that I can tell given the parameters of, of Ghostbusters or, or Transformers or whatever. So anyway that is why that is why i like it uh and because i like it i put effort into it and hopefully from what you're saying it seems to pay off
0: absolutely and that's a great analogy that you know as i think as one of our viewers here gomer says the master chef of comics and we, <laughs> we, we appreciate
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i will um, now thank you
2: <laughs> so my question that i've been wondering for a while and i don't know that you can really give us an answer but um, I've loved your work on Fallen World on Rye. I do see that how uh, you like to sprinkle continuity in. Um, we love that in the in the uh, present day comics as well. Is there any chance that we'll see you expand beyond Rye and work in some of the present day continuity comics?
1: Well, I, uh, I th- the simple answer to that is, I would absolutely love to because because I, I let's say I, I really love the Valiant Universe. And I you know. I I, I hope. What I hope is that I'm doing good enough job on Rye that the Valiant editorial, who I hope are all listening right now, uh, uh, say, oh, we could put him on something else. Because I'd love to. I think it's it's interesting to explore, and also it's it's it would be interesting to explore from my point of view because, as I said earlier on, it's a different kind of universe. It appeals to my kind of science fiction thriller based. Sensibilities—the sort of sensibilities that I usually deploy in Uh, 2000 AD—and—and—and in universes like—and I keep using the the examples. I apologise, but DC and Marvel. I've written a lot for both of those. I love doing it, but there's a lot of things there that, as it were, I've done. I've done this big story. I've done that thing, uh, and—and—and you know, sort of the, the the possible continuity permutations are are less as a result because I've done things there. But I haven't played with the all the possible combinations that, that that are there in the Valiant universe, because there are, there are, there are toys there. I haven't had my, get my hands on. So, so yeah, there's, there's lovely things there. I love the strong element of the supernatural that runs through the Valiant universe. Uh, you mentioned shadow man. That was something I did write for, in its early incarnation. I, I love, I love that. I love the fact that it's a, a kind of, it's a kind of very robust real sense of supernatural rather than a, a, a kind of, uh, Harry Potterish magic thing, and I do, I do like that. I also love the very, very strong sense of uh, technology that runs through the, the Valiant universe. That so much of it is dependent upon significant scientific advances and technological advances, and that is that is that underpins a lot of of the sort of meta human behavior in Valiant. And I also love the sense of history. I love the fact that that Valiant has sort of back created its own history, going back to sort of you know, sort of Babylon and before and you know sort of the 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 the, the, the uh, and the first cities and that kind of stuff i love the fact that you've got that there and when they they do things historically they tend to try and do them authentically as i said with the with uh the pages in issue six where we got roman legionnaires it doesn't it's not like it's not like uh uh, they've gone to the, you know, the store cupboard and quickly grabbed some costumes to pretend that we're suddenly in Elizabethan England. They, there's a s- real sense of of attention to detail to make you really believe that that's where you are. And that, to me, is the secret of great SF: it is is a sense of authenticity. You actually really believe wherever you are, gone into the past or whatever. But I think that's that, that's the thing you need there. Greg's asking me, what do you think makes Rise World Order stand stand apart from other future universes? I I, th- I hope everybody could see that question. I I think it is I think it is that um, uh, um. I, th- I think the fact that it's not like anything else. It's not. It's not. It's not any one thing either. A lot of a lot of universes. They go. You know. Go in the future. Everything's post-apocalypse. Or in the future, everything's incredibly uh, high tech, and we're all members of the Federation, and we all wear one piece jumpsuits or whatever. Whatever it is, there is there is always. A <laughs> Uh, there is always sort of a uniformity of future. And if we, we know we live in a world right now that's fairly futuristic, it's fairly advanced, but we know there is no uniform uniformity. You know, you can travel just this one planet alone. And there is an intense and incredible variety of things, of cultures, of ideas, of tech levels. Was it William Gibson said, uh, uh, the future's here, it's just not evenly distributed, which I love. I, I, mm. you know, nothing, there is not a commonality across the board. And that's, to me, what the, Valiant future has got that, that you've got uh you've got examples of incredible such high tech that it appears to be almost magical but it's coexisting alongside incredibly primitive or or, or, or some sort of post post apocalypse elements or rampant technology that's got out of control and and uh, uh mankind doesn't control it anymore uh you've got sort of post human creatures like rye sort of uh operating independently uh you've got uh Well, just about anything you want. That world, to me, uh, uh, is a very realistic portrayal of what a future Earth is. A planet's a big place. Let's have all those different things happening. And then there be no sort of consensus of what is normal and what is right. And that means that we can have a story where uh, we encounter sort of, you know, sort of sword and sorcery brutality and another story where we encounter very, very high tech stuff. Uh, you know, I, I think that's that's an interesting thing to play with, um, and and it's it's got a it's got a lived in feel, a lived in quality that you actually believe that people it's not just being hastily assembled for the purpose of the story. It's been there a while, and people have used it. That 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 kind of authenticity I remember being struck by when I first saw the early Star Wars the first Star Wars films. There was a sense that things were slightly worn and rusted, and science fiction had never looked like that before. And that's that and that's a great thing. Again, it adds to the authenticity. Yep.
2: man um, so one question that we got in the live chat was um, there's another character in the future universe uh, valiant uh, war mother is there a chance that we'll get to see her pop up in the Rye
1: comic I think there's a her? very good chance actually yeah because I used her in Fulham World uh, mm-hmm. she's an interesting character there and and and, and it's part of the the, the kind of complex, culture of the world that there are different factions and the different people fighting for different things and some of them aren't necessarily fighting for the things you expect them to be uh fighting for uh so she played a role there and and because of the importance of of very certain useless. things you know the health of the planet the geomancer and that kind of stuff um there i think there are there's a very good chance that she will crop up again soon uh there are i say there are other characters i need to play with immediately but uh, but she's she's not far away from my thoughts i i love the um uh, I, I, I so I love the fact that the the, the the there is a sort of an ecological consciousness literally uh, going on in the uh, Valiant universe, and that's something we can play with. And it's not as it's not sort of a happy, friendly you know green ecological consciousness it, it's quite it's quite it's sort of quite savage and quite brutal and I, I like the idea that there are factions. i, I also would say at this point for, for for people listening to this who haven't read the book or maybe aren't particularly familiar with valiant stuff it sounds really complicated the way i'm describing it sounds completely mm-hmm. very very complicated all these different factors all these things going on um but i think it's incredibly accessible i think i think uh you can read for instance any issue of riot or any issue of, of valiant and and kind of. Uh, understand enough about what's going on to really enjoy the story and to make you want to read more, so that you can you can fill in those details. I think it's it, it's beautifully segmented because it's 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 say so it's not all one holistic thing where you've got to understand everything to make sense of it. Uh, so things like the geomancer uh, and the war mother and the faction that she presents that represents the green and that kind of stuff. I think they are they are really interesting things to unpack as a reader. Uh, and, and you don't need to have it all told to you up front. You just you get into that story and discover who that person is. So uh, I, don't, I don't wanted to make sure that we weren't putting anybody off going, oh, sounds too complicated. It's not. It's a guy with a sword and his little mate, and they kill things.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is definitely a great, you know, even if somebody's brand new to Valiant, to jumping on and get introduced to some of these characters and continuity. It's done in a very uh, – uh, Purposeful way I could you yeah. could see that that it's done in that manner. Um, one of the tropes in the first uh, arc of Rye is the the robot trying to be human. Yeah, and so that one's done a lot. So what what was your thought moving into that of knowing that that robot trying to be human trope has happened and how playing with that.
1: Uh- yeah, I was aware that it is it, it, it's almost like, oh, you're going to write a robot character? What can you do?, Oh, I'll have him you know agonize about the fact you know, is he human or not? But the interesting thing with Ray is, of course, he is human. there's There's no question about it. He has enough human human in him that he absolutely qualifies as such. And in fact, in fact, part of his problem really is that he's he's not completely one thing or the other. He is both human and he's synthetic. So on in this future world, you, we have human race. Some of them are, are sort of biologically modified and everything like that, but they're still humans. Um, but you've also got uh, the, the synthetic population who are virtually uh, indistinguishable from, from real humans, except they've been artificially produced. And he has a, obviously, a very strong tie and responsibility to both of them. And he's aware that there is uh, weird prejudice between those two sides. Uh, and that's, that's always, always sort of simmering on the edge there. Um, so in some respects, he's a character who can bridge those two. Uh, if he's successful, if he can successfully bridge those two things and be part of both of those worlds, that's really good. The the worst thing that can happen is he's torn apart by those two worlds. And I think there are things, and again, I don't want to spoil it because there will be people who haven't read it yet, but by the time we get to the end of issue uh, issue five, which is the last story and last part of the, the trade, he makes a statement there that I think, surprised an awful lot of people um that his uh, his outlook is uh, you 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 go along assuming his outlook is going to be one thing and you get there and you go oh i d- i wasn't really expecting you to, to fall that way with it so um i think that's i think that's interesting i i wanted to be, i want i never wanted people to forget that he had been essentially programmed and trained to be ruthless and analytical and 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 to try and solve things with one simple blow you know he, he's not he's not He's capable of great subtlety, but he's not a subtle, nuanced person. You know, if there's a danger, he will take it down in the quickest and simplest way possible. So he's presented with a problem and he's kind of doing the same thing. He's got that sort of uh, that sort of hunter killer mentality of going, here's a problem. I will solve it. It's solved. You know, and it's and and, and some things are too subtle for that. And I think that's one of the things that we're going to see him playing with a lot more, where he starts to some of the kind of rational, almost cold blooded decisions that he's making because of, you know, a, a, a bigger truth or, you know, the bigger picture. And, and 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 they are actually there is a smaller picture too that he should be more aware of. The smaller picture tends to be human. Uh and the smaller picture also tends to be the one voiced by Rajin going, Well, it's all very well that we're gonna save the world, but you just let someone die. And Rai's going, Well, yeah, but there's always in wars there are casualties, so that you know that was necessary. And Rajin going, but was it? And did it have to be that? And could you not have done something about that before you went and saved the world and that kind of stuff? So so I think that's so his learning process is not the usual sort of touchy-feely, I'm a robot, but I'm getting in touch with my inner emotional core and, uh, you know, that sort of my cold logic is slowly breaking down as I realise sensibilities and the wonder of a butterfly and all that kind of crap. It's mm-hmm. it's much more about trying to balance the, this kind of instinct to be mechanically clinically effective very rapidly on something with the fact that actually there's sometimes there's a lot to be said for the way that a human might hesitate and think about it twice and really maybe not be able to make up their mind because that gray thinking is actually really important part of of the way life operates. Uh, We saw it a bit in Fallen World. We've seen it a lot in the the first five issues uh, in a quite shocking way. Um, And that's something we're gonna play with play with a little bit more. So it, it goes back to what I said about the idea that he's part of two communities. He's literally he's he's these two things in one, and they they kind of don't play well together.
0: Hey, so a little bit of an offbeat question, but okay. uh, of all the things you've written, would you say like a Rye theme song is maybe like the most different thing you've been asked to write? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Yes, uh, I, I I trust you've all heard that. That was uh, yeah. that was that was uh, that was a really odd thing. I, again, it was. It, uh, Lisa, the editor, sent me this link. and said there is this band. Uh, they're great. They do kind of they write, write music inspired by the Valiant Universe, and they want to write a right song. Uh, here's I was sent an MP3 of the kind of rough musical, uh, the instrumental part of the track, and I went, "God, this is good." And I was looking at them on video, and their their singer is amazing and the music sounded great and it was reminding me of the the, the, the era of rush that i like the most and all this kind of stuff so that so they said will you write some lyrics for this and i um i'm not i'm i'm not a musician but i'm not unmusical i've I've you know i have had some me- musical experience in my past and i thought well that'll be a fun thing to do thank you scott the rice song was awesome i agree completely and so i so i i um so I wrote these lyrics and, I, and I, t- I, t- I took it like any job. Like I said, you know, the thing with the continuity, I sat down and going, well, if I'm going to do this. I'm going to try and do it as the best possible version of this I can do. So I listened to it and I was making c- careful, you know, really exact timing notes off the, you know, sort of, the, you know, sort of 11 seconds in. And this the kind of. So I, I wrote. Basically, I covered every square inch of the music they sent me with lyrics. Every square inch It's like, you know, writer much, you know, who's like. <laughs> It was, uh, and then I, I then got into an email, a lovely email conversation with the, with the band itself, and we went back and forth. So I've written some lyrics here; they are with notes about how it fits and the structure, and, and they very politely went, "Oh, that's great, thanks a lot, a uh, lot, lot of lyrics. Uh, probably probably won't use them all because you know a lot of lyrics." And I went, "That's fine, you know, use what you want, that's fine." And they went away, and then but a couple of days later, they went to the studio. To actually try it, to actually the singer, like I said, she's fantastic. To, to actually try singing some of the bits of the things I'd written to the music they were producing, and 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 clearly, I I, I mean, they did cut me down. Thank God, because it was it was too much. <laughs> but as they, she started singing it, it was like it began. She said she was. I think they were really surprised at how well I'd made it fit. I hadn't just written sort of stuff off the cuff that I'd made it fit, and they came back sort of. So from this from this enthusiastic but slightly kind of whoa. Response to begin with, they then came back and went, "That was great! You should hear it now. This is fantastic!" <laughs> and they used much more than I think they were expecting. And I think it's great. I, I think it's great. I, I do when I when I sit down to work on it, I just play it. It's like it's the beginning of the episode. I just go oh, playing that now. That's got me in the mood. Okay, we're gonna. So yeah, it was it was one of the oddest things. It's probably about uh, probably about third on the list of odd things I've been asked to do in my career. The second place was write a comic to uh, based on a roller coaster. <laughs> uh, first place notoriously was write the uh, Ronald McDonald Happy Meal comic for a few months which is what I did yeah, never again, okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can sound have, interesting. You have
1: good odd, and you can have bad odds. So that's what I'm saying, and the writing film that was good odd. that was like, okay, that'll be different
0: that's great that's awesome. Well, and how far ahead are you? I, I've known that you guys have – Rye came out right after Fallen World. It wasn't initially supposed to be come out that way because we've loved it so much. But you guys have had what a number of issues in the can.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, I, I think we have got – I think we've got four or five more in the can already. That's yeah. awesome. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, I, and that's great because the last thing I want to do is to see the see sort of as it were skimping on the art. Uh, you know, sort of, but he, he's an incredibly fast and effective artist to be honest. But at the same time, that detail that takes time. Mm-hmm. And I like to get you know get everybody used to this beautiful sense of what the comic's all about. And then you know we get to issue eight and it's like oh that one was done in a hurry. So I've you know mm-hmm. it takes place at night with no lights and uh, and everything's in the dark and there's no infrared vision. And everyone's dressed in black, and that's why there's no detail. You know, that's what we want to try and avoid.
0: Absolutely, and you know, if we all love it, we all like it. Get the pre-orders of book one. Get number six right now. Make sure that the sales are going to what determine if we can, you know, have a keep five in the can ongoing. So. Encourage everybody on here to really get to get put it in your pull list. Um, yeah, well,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, a, a, a comic only keeps going if we've got a, an enthusiastic readership. I think there are an awful lot of people who who maybe haven't seen this yet or don't think it may be for them, and and, and they will be really really surprised and, and pleased when they pick it up. But of course, given the current situation with uh, uh, with what's going on in the world, that is true of of a lot of comics, and I would I would encourage people to to support. Well, Valiant, obviously, Rye in particular, but Valiant generally. The comics, comics generally, if you've got favorite comics, make sure you order them and buy them so, and support your comic shops, without which, you know, the whole system will collapse. We you know nobody's going to get comics. Everything's very vulnerable at the moment. We've been on hiatus. Uh, comic shops are generally independent and they will struggle for a lack of sales. So just to keep what we've got going, which we all love, we all love it so much. Uh, I think making that extra effort to to advance order and, and and think about what you want to look at and maybe try new things this is an ideal time to do it um because it, it's sort of a restart for everybody and it's a chance to sort of uh, get everything back into a very healthy shape
2: well and i think ryzen's such a great place where you can buy that first trade and then jump immediately into issue six yeah. and have the full story and then of course
1: fallen world that trade paperback is available as well so yes, yes, I mean, yes. people have well, well sold. Yes, thank you. Yes, I've forgotten that. Yes, of course you can. You can read back that. Uh, you can mm-hmm. get the whole whole sequence there. So that, that's that's yeah. Um, this and, is a I great like, time to jump on. It's a great time to jump on, and it and it's and it's much more accessible than than I perhaps made it sound with all my preposterous talk of stampeding and <laughs> uh, and, uh, and smart homes and uh, all that kind of stuff. So, Yeah.
2: Well, that second issue, the smart home one, was. That was a thing of beauty um i think that was my favorite issue of comics for that year because i believe that came out yeah. in 2019 so that yeah. was when we had talked about the year in review that was for me the number one issue
1: that was actually lisa's suggestion uh was that that we tried to do the first maybe two or three issues sort of sort of you know obviously an ongoing meta story of his quest but sort of like standalone encounters just so that we got mm-hmm you know, sort of different snapshots of this world is like this, this, you know, oh, it can be like this, oh, it can be like this, before we then did a two part story that, that, that sort of took it further. And of course the strands all flow through that and there, and there is connectivity, but it was almost like, a, like a, a new TV show in the first few episodes, uh, like I, again, uh, Star Trek in its classic days where each episode will be a different thing using the same mm-hmm. character and, and you be, become aware of the range of possibility um and 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 that was uh i think that's that's that was a lovely way to start and a great sort of a great note from her great great editorial lead from her to do that
0: that's beautiful
2: worked out yeah i think it worked out really well Yeah,
1: thank you and one thing that we love
0: about valiant that we've always loved is accessibility and appreciating you for coming on this show today um that is one thing that we love we got greg in the chat who's part of valiant um we've always loved that so um we know that it's a little later there at your time, so just um, put it out there to you. If there's anything you want to let the fans know um, that that you have on that you want
1: to talk about right now. I I am a ridiculously prolific writer, and therefore there's loads of things going on. And some some of my uh, one, one thing that's carried on right the way through the um, uh, uh, the uh, lockdown has been 2008 Britain's Weekly Comic, which I write several stories for. And I believe, although it, it's not as widely available in America as, as it is obviously over here, it's a newsstand comic over here. Uh, they are now doing a, a a sort of American format package, beautiful edition of kind of the best of, which will be coming out quite soon. And I actually have a strip in that. Uh, alongside the, you know, such luminaries as Alan Moore and other people like that, that they've they very picked the best stories over the years. But there's a strip I write for that called Brink, which is a kind of police procedural set on essentially set on a space station. The way we, uh, the elevator pitch for that is uh, is uh, uh, Outland meets True Detective. So it's kind of uh, it's kind of very claustrophobic. It's very, very slow paced. It's very low key. It's mostly conversational. But when something happens, boy, does it happen. And it's and it's got a slight hint of, of horror going on in it. And uh, with the artist Ian Coburn, I've been doing that for several years now, 2018. And it's rapidly become one of the most popular strips in 2018. And we're really pleased with it. And it's, a, it's, it's pretty different. So there are things like that that I do. And of course, when I'm not sitting here as a comic writer, I am also a novelist and I write novels until they're coming out of my ears, and particularly for um, the Warhammer 40,000 universe, which is uh, something I've been doing for about 25 years. I've written a metric crap ton of novels for them. <laughs> I can't remember, I've lost <laughs> 54 novels. I can't remember exactly, but uh, but actually slightly delayed by lockdown, but but um, uh, a book called Saturnine uh, will be released in hardback next month. And it is it is uh, part of the Horus Heresy series, but it's actually more particularly, it's part of the Siege of Terror, which is the last, uh eight books of the of this enormous series that's been running for now for 10 years i wrote the very very first one and this is one of my contributions to the to the end of the saga it's the longest and most complicated novel uh i've ever written uh, 140,000 words it is is wall space marine shooty death in space and i'm immensely proud of something i did last year I'm immensely proud of it uh so 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 one of the weird things about lockdown for me is that it was—it was like what I do normally, but more intensely. They, they sit at my desk and write things and enjoy writing them, and it's nice to see these things coming out there. Um, so yeah, I'm—I'm I'm, you know c- come come July and August, the return of t- return of Rye, and then some of the things that I've worked on for other people over the the last few years coming out there, uh, last few months coming out and being uh, available to the public is a, a particular delight. Amazing, awesome. yeah. Awesome.
0: And where's a good place for somebody to get a hold of your work, or also see more about you and your your upcoming stuff?
1: Uh there. Are, well, yes, a number of different places. I mean, uh, I, I, <laughs> go to or contact your local comic shop in terms of uh, in terms of, of ordering stuff. All Order, a right. I write Justice League Odyssey for for DC. Uh, I'm doing other bits and pieces. I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing uh, the, with great delight writing uh, uh, Deja Thoris, which is Edgar Rice Burroughs. Uh, dynamite which is something i read as a kid and it's like that's a brilliant thing to do so that you know just go in and say what's dan writing and you'll find that and you'll be able to order it and put it in a pull list if it's books mm-hmm. go to go to the black library which is games workshop site itself where they can do pre-orders but you can also get them through the regular book trade they're they're up they're up on amazon they'll be in barnes and noble they right. are beautiful prestige editions uh and some of the other things uh you can find obviously um i did quite i do a weird amount of games work so there's 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 a game coming out that will launch next month called crater that's c-r-a-y-t-a uh where i've written a comic that will be available online to support that so uh so there's there's there's, there's all sorts of weird things like that but in terms of actually reaching out to me i i'm not a massive user of, of social media i'm sorry to say which is why it's a delight to come onto something like this and actually talk to people and for people to realize that i'm not a some kind of negotiator <laughs> that <Ghost laughs> doesn't, doesn't really exist in real life. Um, but I, weirdly, I, I, I was on Twitter for a long In fact, I'm still on Twitter, but I don't use Twitter very much because I think it's, it's I, I find it quite a hostile environment just to, to, to be in there. But I am, uh, I'm on Instagram. I am, I am, I'm, I'm on Instagram and you can, you can, you can find me there. Uh, and I, I promise I'll start posting more things. Uh, but I'm also, weirdly, uh, very fond of Facebook, bizarrely. And I, for, for yeah. years, I've had a Facebook page, which which rapidly reached its limit of friends. Hmm. Um, so instead of doing the, the, the kind of very arrogant thing of going, I'm just going to have a fan page, I opened a second Facebook page so that I could maintain a personal connection to people and actually have conversations with them. So I am Dan Abnett on Facebook, but I'm also Daniel Abnett on Facebook. And basically, post hmm. the same things there. But it, I, I now have. 10,000 or so people there, but you know you can message me directly on that and you can message even if you're not my friend you can message me via that, but it's now reached the point where my second Facebook page after this is, is beginning to fill up, so I think the time has come and in the next couple of months I am going to uh, uh, convert, thank you Christopher Amundsen, that's lovely, <laughs> so, um, uh, in the next couple of months I'm going to convert one of my Facebook pages into a public figure page which can have unlimited um, membership and I will basically point everybody in that direction, uh, and and try and do sort of mini events and chats and and ask me anything and stuff like that via that uh, because it just it seems to be an environment that works well for me. Uh, people can send me direct messages privately. They can send me direct messages, ask me a specific question. I always try and answer and, uh, and help them out and do things like that. So uh, yes, if I, if I, if I went back on Twitter for any length of time. I would never get any work done, do you know? and I'd be too busy arguing with everybody. So I think those are the ways to do it. Uh, and if, uh, if in the course of everything, more things happen, you know, maybe I go back to having a website like I once had. I will disseminate that information so that you can, uh, you, can you can put it out there and, and come and find me. But yeah, Facebook, Facebook, weirdly, Facebook for all its fact that it's sort of old-fashioned, is the is the uh, is probably the best place to to, to connect with me and uh, and find out things. Awesome.
2: Well, we can't thank you enough for coming on, taking the time out of your day to to chat with us, and um, you know, let us know more about what's going on, your process with Rye, and what's coming.
1: Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to to all of you. I I mean, by all means, invite me back. I've enjoyed it very much. If you can stand listening to me whitter on for another hour, I'm quite happy to come back and do that. Maybe once the next once we start publishing again, and the next arc is starting out, maybe we should uh, maybe we should chat again then. Definitely. We will definitely. Well, I'm gonna... Yes.
2: I'm crossing my fingers that the next time we'll talk is when you're on another Valiant book.
1: Oh, there you go. Okay, okay. <laughs> Eric wins. <Wynn. laughs>
2: That's what I'm hoping for. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Um, definitely appreciate everybody in the live chat uh, contributing questions and yes, thank you um,
1: everybody who I can't see. It's been been thank you for your questions. Thank you for being present and uh, and, uh, uh, and participating and and just like I said, listening to me ramble on. <laughs> I could talk for England, and in fact, in, in the Olympics this year as a talker, uh, but they wouldn't let me because it didn't happen. There you go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again. Um, we're going to go ahead and sign off for everybody, but uh, thanks, everybody, for watching, for listening. We are Get Valiant, and we will see you all next time.
0: All right. Stay Valiant, all, and get that book. Pre-order. Put it on Pre-order,
2: right Please.